Welcome to the Michigan Medicine Newsbreak, your destination for news and stories about the future of healthcare. Today we are talking to Dr. Daniel Call, the director of the Transplant Infectious Disease Service at University of Michigan Health, about a worrisome development that his team had to deal with in the fall of 2020, which was the first documented COVID-19 infection acquired through a transplant. So welcome, Dr. Call. Thanks for having me. And I'm wondering first if you can paint the picture for us about what the transplant landscape and healthcare at large was really like in the fall of 2020 and what concerns, if any, that you had at the time. Sure, yeah. I mean, initially we had a period where we were somewhat limited in how many transplants we could do, largely because of resource limitations related to COVID-19 and ICU beds and various equipment that was required in the post-transplant setting, but just wasn't available because it was needed for critically ill COVID patients. That resolved after a period of time as we kind of got our feet adjusted about how we would be taking care of critically ill COVID patients. Uh, And by the time this event had occurred, the issues of whether COVID could be transmitted were still kind of being worked out. Was this something that you had considered or anticipated? Yeah, it was something everybody was worried about. You may recall early in the pandemic, there weren't even sufficient tests available to test donors or potential deceased donors or living donors for that matter. Uh, By the time this occurred, which was in the fall of 2020, testing capacity wasn't an issue and all donors were getting tested with the nasopharyngeal swab. So that made us feel a little bit more comfortable. We also felt a little bit more comfortable in that there had not been any proven transmissions at that point, even though the pandemic was eight, nine months old. So then you would have been confident about a few more of these things given the testing. How then did the patient actually develop COVID-19 through this transplant? Yeah, so the donor for this patient tested negative for COVID in a nasopharyngeal swab. So that's the swab I think most people are familiar with where the nose is swabbed. And so it was good to see that that was negative. We also knew that there weren't any symptoms or other suggestions on, for example, the x-rays and other imaging studies that have been done on this donor that would in any way suggest that the donor had COVID-19. So that was all looking fine. But what happened was the our recipient initially did just fine, but a couple of days after transplant uh, got quite ill and nobody was sure why. And we did another COVID test on that recipient from fluid that was from deep down in the lungs. And that fluid was positive, even though a nasopharyngeal swab, so a specimen from up higher in the respiratory tract was negative. And that gave us some concern, could this have come from the donor? So then how did you find out for certain that the recipient had acquired COVID from the donor in the transplant? So what happened is after we found out that the recipient had infection deep in her lungs, but not in her upper tract, that made us concerned, could this have come from the donor, especially because the recipient had tested negative just prior to the transplant, because we check everybody when they come in the hospital. And so we just happened to have had a specimen from deep down in the donor's lungs that we had brought for other purposes. And even though it really wasn't a standard thing to do or completely validated in our microbiology lab, we tested that for COVID and that specimen from the donor deep down in the lungs tested positive. What also occurred was the the surgeon who'd done the operation actually came down with COVID. So Adam Loring, one of my colleagues who's a virologist, quickly sequenced all of those 
specimens of COVID, so from the donor, from the recipient, uh, and from the surgeon, and showed that they were all essentially exactly the same. And so that proved that the infection had come to the recipient from the donor. What was the reaction from your team at that point? Well, obviously, we were really upset. You know, we do organ transplantation to try and save people's lives, but we recognized that uh, there's always a balance here and that there's always the potential for something to be transmitted from the donor to the recipient. You can't test for everything. It's just not feasible in the time frame that's available for deceased donor organ uh, procurement. But obviously, we were upset, and our first thought was, okay, well, what can we do to help treat the recipient and lessen the impact of this transmission because they're at such a vulnerable point. They just had a lung transplant. They're heavily immunosuppressed. And also we thought, you know, what kind of changes might be required in the way donors are tested to make the organ supply as safe as possible. What did you do next to try to ensure that this wouldn't happen again then? The first thing we wanted to do was to publicize this, even though maybe it could create some concern about safety of organ transplantation. Maybe it could create some concern where we're doing everything properly uh, in terms of testing donors uh, and to review our processes in that regard to make sure we were doing everything. And in fact, we were doing everything that was required. And at that time, less than one out of three organ donors for lungs had a deep specimen in the lungs tested. And we have no control over that process. And we really felt that We didn't want to take any more lungs, and we didn't think any lung should be transplanted unless a deep specimen was tested. We also recognized that the only way to accomplish that was, one, to publicize this, and then, two, to advocate for changes in the policy nationally to require uh, that testing be done because that's really the only way to ensure uniformity. So at the national level, there's an organization called UNOS, United Network for Organ Sharing, which sets up something called the OPTN, which is uh, the Organ Procurement and Transplantation Network that you have to participate in and follow the rules of if you're going to do deceased donor organ transplantation in the United States. So we contacted people we knew in that organization. Many people at Michigan had been part of committees and part of the kind of volunteer structure within the OPTN and uh, really just advocated to get this testing done universally. And in fact, in my experience, uh, which is relatively long with the OPTN, they don't tend to work real quickly because they're a methodical organization and generally should be a methodical organization. But in this instance, it quickly became apparent to them that they needed to make this new rule that this wasn't going to be tested voluntarily on all lung organ donors. And they did change the policy, uh, and that made us much more comfortable that we were making the organ supply as safe as we could for both our recipients and recipients elsewhere. And are those kinds of policy changes pretty standard? Do they move at a, a quicker pace than normal? I think generally policy changes like that take a couple of years because they usually aren't urgent uh, and they require participation from experts in testing from those who run what are called organ procurement organizations, which are essentially businesses that do the process of organ procurement, at least from kind of arranging and donor testing and that sort of thing. And so there are a lot of of players in this and everybody's got to be on the same page. You can't just make policy and change it every few months, you know, you have to kind of put it together in a methodical way. 
Uh, so normally it takes quite a long time to do that. Uh, and there's a whole process and a public comment period. But in this case, there wasn't time for that. And the OPTN, with some urging, recognized that and made a policy change much more quickly than I had seen for this type of situation previously. What kind of media attention did you get from, you know, publicizing this in these various ways? We got a lot of attention. So, you know, this is the kind of event that does draw national media attention um, and often presented in a way that I think can mislead people and make people really scared about participating, either as potential donors or as recipients in organ transplantation. So we wanted to make sure that we participated in that so that we could explain the story that, in general, the organ supply was very safe and the risk of having organ failure and not proceeding with transplantation because you're worried about a very rare event uh, is almost never going to be in the best medical interests of someone with organ failure. But we did get a lot of national media attention, and and I think generally they were willing to listen and understood that policies needed to change, uh, and they actually, in a way, maybe helped get those policies to change. What is your proudest takeaway from this situation? Well, you know, I just think that this is something that can, you know, reflect badly if presented in the wrong way on uh, the university. Uh, because, you know, the short story is someone got COVID from uh, a donor at the University of Michigan, and one could interpret that as something that should never happen. But like with most things, it's much more complicated than that, and all the appropriate procedures were followed, and it was a surprise. Um, And so I think that the university and uh, the people who run the transplant center, Dr. Sunday, who's our transplant center director, and Dr. McGee, who was involved in the leadership at that time, really the whole structure at Michigan Medicine, no one ever suggested that, hey, maybe it was best not to publicize this. Uh, and in fact, we're very encouraging of doing so. And I, that's not true in every organization. I do know that after this, there were places where this occurred, and they reported it in the way they had to report it, but they weren't particularly interested in publicizing it in another way. So I think that speaks well to kind of the ethics and integrity of our leadership. So I personally was very pleased uh, to see that. And I think that's my proudest part of this. And also just getting the policy changed elsewhere. You know, it's a rapidly evolving situation with COVID, particularly back then. And how to do organ transplantation in the setting of a pandemic was something that no one had any experience with. And, you know, I think being part of making that system safer is something that all of us at Michigan Medicine can be proud of. Has this experience changed the way you would approach future care? Yeah, I think that it made all of us much more comfortable proceeding with lung donors who had negative tests from the lower respiratory tree as well as the upper. And there was a period of time while that policy was being implemented when we would only accept organs from those who uh, had 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 those tests done, which was really a minority of the uh, of the organs that were available. And again, you know, I think that our general principles at Michigan Medicine around reporting things when they don't go the way that we want to, trying not to blame individuals, but thinking about the system and how to improve the system, you know, that has not again always been what's happened nationally when there have been mistakes related to donor derived infection are not really mistakes, but when donor-derived infection has occurred, you know, there have often been kind of, you know, punitive measures put in that I've seen elsewhere. And I, and I think our, 
our culture remains a, a good one, and it, it encourages me to report things when they don't go the way that we'd want to to try and improve things for the future. You've received an award actually, for the paper uh, around this case. Is that correct? Can you talk a little about that? Sure. So this was from the American Journal of Transplantation as just the sort of top clinical paper of the year. And I think that they were recognizing, uh, one, that is a difficult thing to report. So I think they were kind of recognizing the commitment to do that and also the fact that that it did change the way uh, organs were screened and created more confidence both for patients and throughout the system uh, that lung organs in particular weren't going to bring COVID along with them. And what does receiving this type of award tell you or do for you and your team? Well, you know, I think it's just affirmation from a national organization that they uh, recognize um, that Again, you know, being being open, reporting things when they occur is really the only way we can provide the highest level of care and keep things as safe as possible for something that we have to recognize is very, very complex. To take, uh, you know, an organ out of one person and put it into another uh, is, a, is a really complex and difficult thing. And there are always going to be outcomes that we don't want, but we just have to keep working hard to make it as safe as possible. That's great. Well, thank you so much for being here, Dr. Call. I wish you uh, continued luck with uh, transplants as the pandemic wears on. So thank you so much. Thank you. For more stories like this one, visit www.uofmhealth.org slash health blogs or search for the Michigan Medicine Newsbreak anywhere you listen to podcasts.